Go ahead and go to Exodus 1. Exodus 1. We're going to be going right into Exodus 2, but we're going to start with some reading of Exodus 1. So turn your Bibles there, please. My brother is right. God has gifted us. And man, you just look at many different aspects of this church and how he's blessed his bride. And the praise team is one of those obvious fingerprints. So very, very thankful for those that have served there. Look at Exodus 1, chapter 1, verse 15 through 22. Now we ended here last week. We didn't spend... The majority of our time, if this is your first week, remember um, what we said, we're going to spend a year, 12 months in Exodus. Um, We had some folks missing last week. I hope you listened. I pleaded to the nth degree, don't come in here not knowing the history, how it's all connected. I had so many, so many rich conversations this week with people who know the Bible and people who didn't know Exodus was a book. I had so many conversations with people who have read this so many times but did not know the connection with Genesis and other connections that we see in the Bible. I had conversations with the young and and people who are older in life, so just continue to dedicate yourself, okay? Now, this is where we ended last week and really gives fuel to where we go This week, in the birth of Moses, God's word says in verse 15, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shephiah, and the name of the other was Puah. And he said, When you do all the duties of the midwives for the Hebrew women, and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They were faithful, church. And they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But they saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children? And the midwives said to the Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, For they are lively, and they gave birth before the midwives before them. Therefore God dealt with them and the midwives well. And the people multiplied, and they grew mightily. This is the people of God that we read last week. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. Hang with me, last verse, 22. So Pharaoh commanded all of his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river. And every daughter you shall let live. Now remember where we were, church. We're not going to do this every week. It'd be hard to do how many turtle doves every single week. But I want us to at least start always kind of building steam off the week before because it's a whole year together. Big book. Remember that in the Hebrew text, the first word in Exodus is not now these are, but the the first word in Exodus is and. Because what we see and how it was written, Exodus was really the sequel. It was this continuation of Genesis. Exodus is tied to Joseph, and it's also tied to Abraham. So we asked the question last week, and I know our youth group talked about this, our small groups talked about this, and you need to remember it. 
Why were the people of Israel, why were the people of God in Egypt in the first place? Well, they went there out of necessity, right? They went there because there was a famine, they needed food, but why did they stay? They stayed because of family, Joseph was there. And why was Joseph there? Because his brothers, his family left him for dead, sold him into slavery. So God used that mess to grow up Joseph into power. We see that this not only connected to Joseph, but it's also connected to Abraham. He looked at Abraham in Genesis 12 as an old man, no children. He says, listen, for you and your wife, I want you to leave your father's home. I want you to be faithful. I am going to grow a great nation out of you. And what did Abraham and Sarah do? They laughed. They said, I can't even get pregnant, let alone a a great nation. But what we see is, is God had great plans for Abraham. He had great plans for Joseph. He had great plans for Moses. And he grew in the soil of the mess, in the midst of the slavery and persecution and heartache and turmoil and famine. God used that soil to fulfill his plan. But it says in Exodus 1 that there was a new regime that came in. Exodus 1 compared to Genesis 50, most believe it's somewhere around 300 to 400 years old. And there is no internet, there's no social media. And so it says that when this new Pharaoh came in, I didn't know who Joseph was, nor care. There was no heartstrings. You're not being grandfathered in because of what this guy did. Hundreds of years ago, there's a new man in power, right? And we had the Pharaoh's plan as we ended last week. He saw the people of God. He saw the fruition of God's promise through Abraham coming true in that moment. So he said, I'm gonna put all of those who are alive now, as they grow in numbers and might, I'm gonna put them into slavery. Why? Remember last week? He looked at his people and he says, hey, if these people keep growing like they're growing and they put their attention on us, they're more mightier than we are. So I gotta put my thumb on them, right, church? Put them into slavery. Well, what are you gonna do with all the children? Kill them. For everyone who is a male, we gotta have some servants. We gotta kill everybody. Let the girls live. But if it is a boy... For the midwives, I want you to think doctors, when they go into the hospital and one is born, I need you to kill them on the spot, right? Well, we're going to talk about it. That didn't work. So he looked at all of his people and he says, hey, once you go home, after you leave the hospital, throw them in the river. What river? The Nile. And that is where we end in chapter one. We go into chapter two. We see the birth of our hero on, on earth, our hero that God uses to fulfill his plan And that is the birth of Moses. Look at verses one through three. Look at verses one through three. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. So the women, uh, so a woman conceived and bore a son. So what happens to that son? That son already has a death wish on his head before he's born, right? And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of the bulrushes for him and dabbed him with asphalt and pitch and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. Now, I want you to write down What stands out to you most in this story? I'm not getting tired. I'm not about to sit. It's too early in the game for that. 
What stands out most as we go through the birth of Moses in this story? There's a lot that pops. It's not a hard to understand story. A lot is going to come to the surface, but I want you to talk to your kids, each other, yourself. Wow, how do I see Jesus and God in the birth of Moses? What stands out the most? Well, first, I want you to see this. We have this umbrella, and I was going to stand on my brother Ben's stool. Last night, I was thinking, if I fall, no one's going to hear anything after that, okay? I want you to see the huge umbrella. Kids, look at me. The huge umbrella of God. God is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is everything. Nothing came before God. Nothing will come after God. He is everything. He begins the story and he will end the story. He is the umbrella in which everything stands. And he created who? Adam and Eve. And we have sin come into the world and things start to snowball. And so we have Adam and there's a covenant made with Abraham. And in that covenant, God said, I'm not going to give up on your people, but I am going to grow your people. And we have Joseph. Joseph is Abraham's great, great grandchild. And in that, we see in slavery and all hardship that God uses Joseph and brings him up into power. He is now an authority, but he dies. And when he dies, people forget who he is. And a new regime comes in. And now we have a new Pharaoh. We have a new leader. And we have the people of God, Israel. And now they are the umbrella in this climate. Still under Abraham, still under Joseph, still under Adam, still under Eve, still under God, and now we have this woman. Who's the woman's name? Who is Moses' mother? It doesn't tell us yet. It will in a few chapters. We have Moses' mother, and in that we have a baby. So I want you to see in the big picture of things, we see the umbrella of God, and it steps us down to Adam and Eve and sin in the garden, the enemy. We have Abraham. We have Joseph. We have Moses' mother and the people of Israel, and then we have this baby. I want you to see it, the ground level, the ground level. We have bird's eye view to the dirt. I want you to see it, church. This mother held her baby, held her child, and she did not know who she held. All she knew is that she loved him. That's it. Moses' mother is not on the Mount Rushmore of biblical characters. She, she saw her child. She didn't get an angel like Mary. All she saw was, is I'm supposed to take care of this child. I love him. I am his mother. What she didn't know is that she held God's plan in her hands from God the umbrella all the way throughout history. This mother that we're not even given a name held God's authority the hero of the faith. I want you to turn. It's very important. Turn to Hebrews 11. I want you to see this. Go to Hebrews 11. Speaking of heroes of the faith, I have taught this. I have read this. We went to New York and did a VBS in Harlem in this. I have read this countless times. This has never popped out to me until now. Look at Hebrews 11. Verse 23, this is the chapter where it is the heroes of the faith, all of the Mount Rushmore characters of the Bible that many of us know, and listen to what it says in verse 23. 
Hebrews 11, verse 23. Remember the illustration. We have God and throughout history and we all the way to the ground level, we have Moses, his mother, holding God's plan, not even really realizing what she held and by faith. Verse 23, highlight it. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's command. One reason I not only wanted you to see that, but I wanted you to see the whole chapter. Let's look at Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel. By faith, Abel, he gave God his best and his first that cost him his life. By faith, Enoch, my man, got swept away in a whirlwind. He didn't even experience death. He was so faithful. By faith, Abraham, we know Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Noah. Who's bigger than Noah? By faith, Moses' parents. I never have read that like I read that after reading the birth of Moses. This is the Mount Rushmore. These are the biggest names in Scripture. And what does it say? By faith, the nameless. There was no flood. There was no whirlwind. There was no palace. There was no authority. There was no kingdom. They didn't even get a fancy coat. However, by faith, these parents feared God more than they did man. I kept looking at this and reading this, and I even had this picture of my mind of the mother, Moses' parents, going into heaven and speaking to Paul and Peter and others in heaven and them looking at the mother and going, hey, I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if anyone would share this with you, but you're in the Bible. I'm like, what? I'm in the Bible. where? The heroes of the faith. Now, they didn't put your name, but you're in there, right? Can you imagine, do you think Moses' mother understood what she held? These parents were called by God to be faithful in the space that he had them, even though they did not fully grasp where they were. That's bigger than you guys are hearing. These parents did not see themselves as heroes, did not see themselves as even faithful, but God called them to a radical faith in the space that he chose to place them. I believe that you and I will one day find out that we all have a by faith section in God's eyes. By faith, my mother and father stayed together when the world said they shouldn't. By faith, this single mother kept raising her children in God's church. By faith, this man redefined for his kids what manhood is by loving God. By faith, they gave of their money and their time of their gifts, which sacrificed worldly things. By faith, he showed God and shared Jesus and the gospel when it was hard to do. What will your section read? And you go, hey, Hunter, I'm not on the Mount Rushmore. Well, neither were they. Hunter, I am nothing special. Neither were they. You think in Exodus 2, you think after she delivered Moses and held this baby, you think she'd be being spoken, she, she thought that she'd be being spoken about and read in God's scripture and be, being put in the heroes of the faith chapter? 
All she understood was, this is my child, and God has called me to be faithful in loving him, and God saw her as a hero. What will your section say? Will it read that you were faithful or that you weren't? I want you to remember, go back to Exodus, I want you to remember that last week we saw that Pharaoh, that Pharaoh was the villain, but sin of Joseph's brothers led them to Israel or Egypt. And in that mess, in that soil, God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. But what I also want you to see is that in that soil, we also have Israel's hero. We have God's answer, and we see a hero of the faith born in the same mess. In the same mess, we see the villain, and we see the hero, and we see God's plan. Ill-equipped parents, slavery, born with a bounty on his head, and that is God's plan for salvation. Think about your life. Think about your life. God made a promise to Abraham. God built up Joseph. His people were behind the eight ball in slavery. This mother held a child that she was ordered to kill. And God goes, hey, that's exactly my plan for salvation. How would your story fit there? God uses the mess, uses the challenge, uses the hardship to fulfill his promise. He did then and he does today. Look at verses five through eight, or four through eight. He says, and his sister stood afar, this is Moses. And the sister stood afar to know what would be done to him. So Moses is in the water. And then the daughter of the Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river And her maidens walked alongside the riverside. And when she saw, highlight your Bibles. I hope your Bibles say what mine does, ark. I know some that don't. When she saw the ark, highlight that for me. Among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby wept. And so she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then the sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maidens went and called the child's mother. You know, one thing that I love about this story, and I thought this is a side note, has nothing to do with the message, unless you just see just God's loving, sovereign plan and fingerprints on everything, even the humorous things. I laughed a few times when I read this story because you look at Pharaoh and Pharaoh had a pretty strong plan. Pharaoh had every I dotted and every T crossed and he looked at this and he said, hey, what we have to do is we gotta kill all the guys. And that was for a few reasons. Number one, he, he heard the prophecy of the potential Moses, right? He wanted to put his finger on that, put a cork on that idea, but he also said, hey, if I have a choice, I'd much rather fight Santa than David, Right? Like Santa might cause some damage, but, but David's bigger and stronger and maybe a little faster. So I want you to kill all the men because if they're rising to power, we'll work the ladies and not have to fight the men, right? That was Pharaoh's plan. But when you look at this and what God does still in that soil of man's attempt to control or prevent or alter, it's all the women. 
It's all the women that he actually should have been looking out for. Right now, the women are destroying everything this Pharaoh had planned. We had the midwives. He looked at these women and said, hey, listen, you work for me. When you deliver a baby, kill him. Did that work? No. He says, listen, for my people, throw your children into the water. Who says no? It doesn't talk about the father yet. It says the mother refused. And then his own daughter. So we see his people. We see his employees, his people, and even his family, all the women who led to his plans not coming to fruition. Says and continues in verse 8, And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go, so the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So now the own mother is getting paid to parent her child, right? It's a good situation to be in. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Guys, I want you to take a second and I want you just to see the facts. As I stood on that chair and gave you God's fingerprint of the umbrella, how everything falls under God's sovereignty and love and grace and all that he has done and continues to do, I want you to see it in this very simple story. The hero that God pulls up in Egypt is born dying. Before he leaves his mother's womb, he is called to die. And then he is cast into the river to spare him. What river? The same river that was ordered to kill him. God uses Pharaoh's plan to bring glory to himself. And then the hero's life is saved by who? The villain's daughter. She brings him, we will find out, to the kingdom. So all of the Pharaoh's plans that he has to control and to protect his control and his authority and to make sure he he keeps his hands on God's plan is sitting right under his nose. We read it last week, Genesis 50. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it, in this to this day, to save many people alive. The Pharaoh gave his 100% college effort. And God laughs. There is nothing that man can do to pervert, to alter, to change God's plan and his promises. And you don't have to turn here. I just want you to see these verses in Psalms or hear them. In Psalms 37, it says, but the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that their day is going to come. In Psalms 2, it says, why do the nations rage And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves on high, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And he who sits in heaven laughs at them. The Lord holds them in his desertions, and then he will speak to them quickly in wrath and terrify them with his fury." God is not challenged. God is not on the defense. God is not looking up and meeting with others about the Pharaoh's plan. Everything that the Pharaoh did to prevent God's plan, God already had well in advance to bring his glory right under the man's nose without his knowledge. I want you to look back. Look back. That should give us hope, encouragement, comfort. Look back at verse 5 says, then the daughter of the Pharaoh came down 
to bathe in the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to go get it. This ark was speaking about what the mother did and and had for Moses to go down the riverside. In all of scripture, this, this Hebrew word that says ark is only used twice. And we know the first one. You don't have to be in church very often to know that the when I say ark, even the lost man knows Noah. But the, the other time that it was used in God's word is, is what saved Moses. And so what we see is in God's sovereignty and his plan and his goodness, both men in history going through the deadly waters in a vessel of salvation. Look at verse 10. And the child grew, being Moses, and the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she called his name Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. So you might not know this. I spoke to a lot of people this week and many didn't. This word Moses literally means to draw out of. So Moses wasn't just a cool name that was popular during this time. Moses is a verb. Moses shows action. And like the Pharaoh's daughter, God lifted Moses and you and I out of death, gave him life, gives us life, gave him purpose, gives us purpose. That's what the name Moses means. Man could not write this. I want you to see it, guys. Somebody said, hey, are we doing all of chapter two? And I said, no, I just want you to see it. This is such a simple story from a four-year-old to 104. This shouldn't be over any of your head, but I just want you to see God's work in this. It would be impossible for anyone to write this story that's so wonderfully crafted, flawless to Genesis and the umbrella of God and all that he has done, all interwoven perfectly to connect back to his promises. See the dots, see the threads, See the connections. In Romans 8, you don't have to flip, just hear the words. In Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. In the birth of Moses, church, what stands out to you the most? In the birth of Moses, what stands out to you the most? Is it God's sovereignty? Is it that God is all-knowing, that he is never on the defense? Is that he has a powerful, wonderful plan that nothing can prevent, that nothing ever can pervert his plans or alter his plans? Is it God's sovereignty? Is that what sticks out most to you? Is it the assurance of Moses' birth and what that shows to you, that you just see his fingerprints on everything? You see, when you read the birth of Moses, do you know what stood out to me? Is that there is a creator. You know what I see? I see that there is a designer. I see that man could not write such a story. I see that there is no way that anything could be this flawless with with no way of man showing, well, that doesn't connect to this. No, everything is perfectly woven together. And that gives me assurance that not only God is good and for me, but that he's real. That he exists. And I'm not to worry. What stands out to you the most is it the security and comfort of this story that God laughs at the enemy's plan. Don't worry. Do you see that? So 
though many of us spend so much of our time worried about the government and worried about money and worried about, the, and worried about all of these things, if you want to be in a bad spot, this would be considered a bad spot. To be Moses' mother in this, to be anybody of a child of God in Egypt during these times, and what does Scripture say? God laughs at even the highest of highest kings in their attempt. Do not worry, do not fret. God laughs at the enemy and his plot. God has a plan for his glory and our good. Is that what stands out to you the most? Is it that God uses the nameless? As I said, and Jordan and I were talking about this yesterday, but in a few chapters, we're going to get the name of the the mother and the father, but not yet. We read Hebrews 11, and he doesn't even give their name. Hero of the faith. Who? Moses' parents. Does that stand out to you the most? The power of faith in the everyday man and woman. There's no way mom and dad thought that they would be preached on thousands of years later. One thing that I hope stands out to you amidst all of that is that as I stood on the chair, the God who created, the God who walked with Adam and Eve, the God who promised Abraham, the God who uplifted Joseph, the God who saved Moses is still the God who works in you and I today. You can interweave all of this. There are historians light years smarter than me and you that cannot find a hole in this book. And as you and I grow in knowledge of his word, we see how Genesis is connected to Exodus, which is connected to Revelation and connected to the God. We see all of these connections, right? The truth is you are one of those connections. And how God has worked in Joseph and Abraham and Adam and Eve. He works in Philip. He works in Brent and he works in Wendy and he works in David and he works in London. He works in all of us. There is something greater than you realize going on in this room. Do you see it? Do you have faith in it? What will your section consist of? As we start to close in, I want you to see this. Brent came up to me and said, hey, you texted me yesterday to read Acts 7. Are you sure Acts 7? <laughs> is that, um, is this makes no sense on Moses. And I said, yes, I think so. And what he read, I'm glad he did, and I hope you heard. Go to Acts 7, please. I want you to see it. Last time I have you flip, it is beautiful and powerful, so please flip there. To learn God's word is rewarding. You know, one thing that I've really seen in ministry and in this church, this church, when it comes to Bible teaching, people wanting to learn faithful disciplines, it's very strong. I heard a pastor one time say, who was very old, he, he older man in ministry, he said, when you say turn your Bibles and you hear those pages, that is a healthy sound, Okay. And so all of those conversations that I had with you guys that week, this week, that's been healthy conversation. And you know, I think that there is room for illustration and funny stories about kids and connecting dots in applicable life. That's needed to grab the attention and understand the, the parable type teaching style. But people want to learn and people want to understand. It's rewarding. You know why? 
Because when you understand God's word, it brings us closer to him. It pleases him and it feeds our soul. I want you to listen to that point. When you understand his word, it feeds your spirit. Now, what you read today and what we taught with the birth of Moses, do you understand what you read and what you learned and what you were taught today and how huge it was? Brent read at the end of Acts where the men stone Stephen and he loses his life, right? Well, why did he lose his life? Does anybody know? Why did he lose his life? Why did they start throwing rocks at Stephen? What did he do? Well, he started speaking about the goodness of God. He gave a sermon. He walked outside, and man, he started bringing it, right? Well, what did he say? In his last words, look at verses 17 in Acts 7. I need you to see it, please. Before this man died, before this man was plummeted with rocks and drugged through the streets, what did he say? What did he choose to say in his last words? Verse 17, but when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. Y'all know the story? At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in the words and deeds. When you go home and I want you to read verses 23 all the way through the end of chapter as he continues to give the story of Moses. But what I want you to leave this church fully understanding as you learn and you dedicate yourself to understanding God's word, that Stephen was stoned and killed for what you heard and learned today. You see that? Like there will be people in this room that check their watch as I speak on chapter two of Exodus. What are we doing today? I'm tired, I'm hungry. Stephen died preaching what I just preached. Stephen chose to lose his life. He was sitting there, he's like, man, I can say a lot of things. A lot of people are looking and I just saw this guy over there pick up a rock. This could end badly for me. What am I gonna say? I'm gonna bring Exodus two their way. He spoke this story of God's work in his last words. Dedicate your life to learning this book. This morning is bigger than the majority of us realize. When you see the birth of Moses, everything comes to surface. Everything comes to surface from the umbrella of God to you and I at the ground level, that God is working in your marriage, your life, your children, your mind, your faith, every aspect of your life. Moses' birth should secure and assure and encourage all of us today. So as we pray, let's praise God. Praise God for what he continues to do in our study. Praise God for you and I being able to see salvation of Christ in the birth of a man. So what I want you to see here, what I said 
in the very beginning before we pray, God took his desire for salvation and he grew it in the midst of the mist. That is where we see Jesus. In all books of the Old Testament, you see the goodness of Christ in it. We see the same thing in the gospel. He took torture. He took death. He took blood. And what did he do in it? He gave life. He gave way. He gave salvation. Christ comes through all of the soil, no matter if it's good or bad. That is how God works for his glory and man's good. Let's bow our head. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this word. We thank you for this story. Lord, I pray that we are touched by it. I pray that we grow from it. I pray that we see Christ in it. Lord, I pray that as we see your hand, your fingerprints on all things, I pray that it gives us assurance that you are working in us. Lord, I pray that we see the cross in it, and I pray that we see salvation in it. I pray that we see our life in it. For so many of us in this room, we have come from spaces like Moses and his parents. And we have failed to see that God's hand was in all of it. That not only is God real, but God is good. He is glorious and always sovereign. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your word, the cross, your spirit. In your precious name, amen.